It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 660 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Now, I have two great conversations lined up for you today. Joining me first will be Mike Schultz, president of Rain Group, actually back for the second, maybe even third time on Accelerate. And we're going to delve into a recent research report coming from the Rain Group titled Five Sales Prospecting Myths Debunked. Now, following my talk with Mike, is another of my series weekly conversations with my partner in crime, Bridget Gleason, who is the Vice President of Sales at Logs.io. And this week, we're just going to talk about the limitations in the SDR-driven inside sales model that more and more SaaS companies are beginning to encounter. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game-changer for sales and marketing professionals. The feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by more than 250 researchers who continually update contact data, and provide account-specific insight to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. See the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Okay, joining on the first joining me on the first segment on Accelerate this week is Mike Schultz. He's president of Rain Group. And back on Accelerate, as I said, for second time. And we're going to dive into Rain Group's findings about their from the recent research on prospecting that they've summarized on the report titled Five Sales Prospecting Myths Debunked. And it gets to the facts about sales prospecting in uh, some surprising ways. So Rain Group surveyed close to 500 buyers from 25 different industries with about $4.5 billion in purchasing power and also surveyed sellers, uh, close to 500 sellers from across 26 different industries. So no spoilers right now because we'll get into it with Mike, but hey, you know, prospecting is still really important. And as Mike will share, you have to be ready and you have to be relevant to your buyers to really make it work. Okay, here we go. Mike Schultz, welcome back to the show. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Andy? Doing great. Great. So if people don't know Mike, Mike's the president of the Rain Group, a worldwide sales training and consulting firm, I guess. Um, and you have offices in how many cities now? Let's see. How many cities? Boston, Geneva, London, Mumbai, Johannesburg, Toronto, and Bogota is where we have our full-time offices. And we also have representatives in different cities around the United States. Uh, one in one guy in Germany, another guy in Dubai. All right. So taking over the world, one country at a time. So what are you seeing in terms of when you're outside the United States, you know, compared to the issues you see in the United States versus out? You know, do in various countries the the concerns different in terms of business to business sales and what their challenges and hurdles are? No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's the same all over. I mean, that I mean, people. Yeah. So I was in our Bogota office uh, a few months ago, mm. and they said, "Ah, see, it's really unique down here because um, being." Uh, negotiated with and push back on prices rampant. It happens all the time. And we really need to sell the value versus, you know, the price. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Geez. Yeah. You're really <laughs> special because people don't negotiate in the United States. Yeah, 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 yeah. Departments. There's, there's no Ariba software. There are no reverse auctions. Oh, that, that only happens in Bogota. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It seems like that'd be the, be the case. Everybody thinks their culture is unique, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, sales is sales. And Bogota, I mean, interesting. It's, I think it's surprising to me. I've sort of, through the LinkedIn connections I've been getting over the last year, looking at all these various softwares, it seemed like a real sort of tech uh, startup boom down there. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's the economy's doing well. Um, but people looking at sort of a lower cost place because the people starting the companies mm-hmm. are Americans. Yeah, so I think that there are a lot of Americans starting companies in places where uh, first of all, America to South America versus, say, doing business in China or India, the time difference is great because I flew down to Bogota and I was still essentially on the same time zone. Right. right. It's easy to talk. It's easy to work. And while some company countries have, haven't been quite as stable, like Venezuela is not doing well right now, mm-hmm. other are just... You get, in, you get in an Uber and you go to work and you do your work and it's in a nice office and you continue to work and you work in different places uh, around, the, around the world from that office and then you go home and have a nice dinner and, and do it all over again. So some places are pretty stable. I mean, Bogota is a, a large metropolitan city. It's not on like a very large 
you know, city in the United States. We also, uh, while we were there, we, we did um, Bogota, Medellin, and Cartagena all for work. And right. there's a lot going on. Yeah, well, it seems like the economy has been, been picking up quite a bit, as you said, certainly in comparison to the downfall of Venezuela and perhaps uh, some of the other neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. All right, so we're going to talk today about a report that your firm did, a research report, a study. And I thought it was really interesting and wanted to talk to you about it because it's uh, the official title, Five Sales Prospecting Myths Debunked. Mm-hmm. And boy, this is a topic that just people can't seem to get enough of, maybe just because they love to argue these days, but you know, mm-hmm. his cold calling dead, yada, 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 yada. So what was really driving you guys to do the, the study? Well, what you just said, cold calling is dead. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And it's a very opinion-based kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's an opinion-based kind of thing because what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. Well, I've been able to generate and work with my clients to build pipelines from a proactive, et cetera, et cetera. Well, geez, we focused on inbound marketing and they say, don't do you know, outbound anymore. Outbound is dead. Now there's an outbound conference focusing on outbound. So, so the question is, what's actually happening? Right. And it's hard to find out what's actually happening if you just talk to sellers because they all have different experiences. And it's hard to find out what's actually happening if you just talk to buyers because they don't know what's happening on the seller side to get in touch with them. Mm-hmm. So we said, uh, well, let's talk to both of them. So we talked to 488 buyers uh, from 25 industries uh, that represented $4.2 billion worth of purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 65% from the Americas and 35% from uh, Europe, Middle East, uh, Africa, right. and Asia Pacific. Right. And we talked to 489 sellers across 26 industries to find out what's actually going on with you. From the buyer's side, what's it like being sold to all day? <laughs> and do you accept meetings? Yeah, we're going to get into that. I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you start by sort of taking on the the sort of prevalent urban myths that exist. I'll call them urban myths, urban legends about prospecting that um, CEB and serious decisions would talk about is that you know buyers are fifty two or whatever percent of the way through their buying process before they engage with sellers, or two thirds of the way through, and sort of use that as the point of departure. And I guess my point about those facts, those facts, those those numbers, not calling them facts, are that it's almost like they're not really material. It's like people have used them for excuses to justify one behavior or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I was talking about actually prospecting with someone, and they were telling me that um, you know they were telling me about this and about that and everything. And I said, you know what? I was trying to bake a cake last weekend. I took out the recipe, I got all the ingredients, I followed the recipe meticulously, put everything together, I put it in the pan, I put it in the oven, I put it at 350, I set it ready to go, and an hour later, the cake didn't rise. So cakes don't rise. No, cakes do rise, and prospecting works too. You just don't know how to do it, or when you try to do it, you're just sucking at it. Yeah. So, so there's you know, all these like relevant facts or information 57% of the buyers are through their buying journey or 67% serious decisions. It doesn't matter. That's why I it agree 100%. Matter. So you should give up and go home? Well, how about this? Maybe sellers are really bad at bringing ideas to the table, so buyers are left to their own devices to make decisions. That's why they're so far through. Is it really about that they can hop online and, and look things up? Yeah, no. Is it about some kind of other dynamic? And again, who cares? 100% of my buyers get their ideas from me about what they do, and my accounts are 10 times the size as others. Great. I win, you lose. But you can, you can, you can enjoy those statistics about how <laughs> well, cold is, is dead. Well, the fact is, I mean, to follow up on your example, your buyers, yeah, you could have proactive outbound and, and sell deals are 10 times as big. Your buyers could still be 50% of the way through when you first talk to them. It doesn't yeah. matter. To your point, it just doesn't matter. You still have to go through the same set of behaviors to find a connection and engage with somebody. Mm-hmm. In fact, we found, and, and we wanted to look just at that, about the buying journey. So, as you said, it doesn't matter how far through they are because they're that far through because of their own reasons. I thought the more relevant question is, as a buyer, when would you like to speak with the seller. Right. The, uh, the buyers wanted to speak with the sellers, the majority of them, 
and the greatest majority of them wanted to speak with sellers, quote, when I'm looking for new ideas and possibilities uh, to drive stronger results and improve my business. 71% of our respondents said that. 71%. Yep. And the next one was when I'm looking for a solution to a problem or challenge. And then it, it went down into the 40s and 50s after that as you moved across the buying or selling cycle. So they wanted to talk to you early. So who cares about how far through you are? They're sitting there waiting at their email on their phone for somebody to have something relevant to say. And the thing well, is that their challenge is, is the sellers don't have relevant things to say by and large. Exactly. And so this is, this is where people conflate this whole idea about they don't want to talk to sellers. To your point, they want to talk to sellers that have something to add. For sure. And you know, there's a reason you see studies from Gartner and other people saying that you know, 80% of CEOs think their meetings with salespeople have no value. Mm-hmm. It's because the salespeople don't have anything of value to add. Uh-huh. We actually asked the same question and it was 58% don't find value from meetings with sellers and 42% said by and large they do. Yeah. So again, not <laughs> if you're a salesperson, sales leader, you're listening to this, you don't want to conflate that to say mm-hmm. they don't want to talk to us. No, they do want to talk to you. Just have something, you know, have a take, have something that adds value. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I like to say that they don't want to talk to you the second time based on how the first time goes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Following the law of averages, for the most part, they don't want to talk to you the second time. But if your first conversation, if they can walk away with some kind of aha, and I don't mean that like, oh, the skies opened up and the lights came in and aha, but if they said talking with them for 20 minutes was worthwhile, Mm-hmm. And then the door's still open. Yeah. And the way I phrase it for people is that, you know, buyers and this Herbert Simon, Nobel Prize winner in economic study, this is that, you know, buyers make an economic decision about the value that you bring to them during a meeting. And so like at sales, there's fundamental exchange. Buyers invest some of their time in you. The exchange is you have to give them something of value in return or there's no second meeting. Mm-hmm. It's just, just Matter of fact, we asked the question, how many minutes do you give them to prove whether or not they have value? For the most part, the greatest answer was between five and 10 minutes, they've made their decision about whether or not you are on their list or off their list. And I think that may even be conservative. I think it probably happened sooner than that, right? Well, I think they can dismiss you in 30 seconds. Right. If you sound like a bonehead when you get started. Right. Or if you start a meeting where you say well, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And and then you just jump in. Well, you know what? I'm a vice president of a big company here. Before you start in a half an hour meeting, why don't you say to me, if this meeting were to go well, what will we have done or not done for you to say at the end, okay, that was worth my time. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I want to say to that. And sometimes I want to hear what you have to say. And sometimes I want you to hear what I have to say. But why don't you just ask me instead of, you should start your meeting with commercial teaching, blah, blah, blah. No, you should start your meeting with needs discovery. How about start your meeting with, how would you like this meeting to go? Go, right. What would you like to accomplish? Yeah. All right. So that was, that was myth number one. The myth number one being buyers don't want to hear from sellers. And the fact that, that, is that they do, and I think, so a couple of questions that will follow up on that is, is one is, yeah, certainly my belief from everybody I speak to, and you know, I talk to a lot of people with the, with the things I do is, is with sense of that with automation, increasing automation coming into sales is that, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's actually the ability to add value is going to become more important, not less important as that happens. And I just want to make sure if you got a sense of that through your study, because as you're saying, the sellers or the buyers want to hear from sellers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go online, gather all the information we want, but at some point we want to talk to a person. Yeah, for sure. And depending upon how I'm feeling on a particular day or depending upon my personality type and style, I want to talk to them more, I want to talk to them less. But most people want to interact with people in a variety of different ways and through different media. There's a time when I want to read your email and there's a time I want to engage with you. Uh, what happens with sellers is they end up hiding behind LinkedIn, email, texts, and other, other different ways to get in touch. And the reason why this area tends to be so popular and doesn't die is because it's so emotional. Mm. Discovery is important, but it's not emotional. Um, Planning to win a large opportunity is important, but it's not emotional. You sit down and you have to do your outreach and that feeling comes in that pit of your stomach. It's just, it's more, it's more visceral for us all. But in terms of cold calling being dead, just to address the, the point, which is myth number two. Right. That's not what we found. We asked the buyers and the sellers 
across oh, 11 or 12 different contact methods, uh, buyers, what do you prefer? And sellers, what works? Number one was email in terms of what they prefer and what works. And number two was phone call in terms of, for both of them, right. what they prefer. And they were kind of close. It wasn't like there was this massive drop-off. No, they're high, high percentages. Yeah. So those are the two big guns. Those are the two ways to reach out. And it's, <laughs> again, I just have to laugh at this because I've, I've had arguments with people about this. Is, you know, the myth is no one answers their phone. So mm-hmm. I'm, therefore, I'm not going to call. But your study shows that actually people do answer their their phone. I mean, it may take you, you know, multiple attempts, but you well, if somebody has an interest, you are going to get through to them. Yep. And just two days ago, I read something about stop the email. No one's reading the emails. It's like, yeah, and there's a lot of trash email out there. But again, you guys point out in the study, what you found is that actually more senior level people actually are pretty responsive to a good email. Yeah, they're responsive to a good email. So one of the things that we found was content 100% customized to my situation is influential to me to to take a meeting. I get uh, emails. uh, We're a small company. It's a global company, but it's a small company. I'm I'm listed on as the president, so I get four, six, eight different outreaches a day. Mm. I would say 80 or 90% of them, even if they're quote-unquote customized, they're from bots. They didn't look me up. Right. So it's, it's pretty bad. And I just miss them. And sometimes I mess with them because of what I do. And I want to follow up and see I what they say. But the study found that 82% of the buyers took meetings with sellers that they didn't know at least sometimes in the last 12 months. So they take meetings. You just have to approach them the right way. So they take all meetings. I get, no. you know, I, I run a small business. I get four, six, eight outreaches a day, and I do take some meetings. I might take a meeting once, once this week, not in the next week, maybe the week after. So I might only be taking one in twenty. Right. Well, I can tell you that sixteen out of those twenty I dismiss before I talk to them because they suck. And to your point, is is I, I serve. Differentiate people talk about personalization and talk about mass personalization at scale, which is, is uh, you know, impossible, right? I mean, you can't, you just can't do that. And, but that's what I would say 90% of the emails you get, I get that you're talking about is the sales rep saying, Yeah, I'm just doing a mail merge with first name and that's personalization. Yeah, and first name, that, company, your, your industry. Yeah. Pretty- no, it's, yeah, that doesn't constitute customization. Now you're talking about doing some research about the company, about the individual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, creating something that will stimulate them to connect and maybe some common point of interest, just something that's personal. Sure. Uh, Andy, I've been following your company for a while, but I saw the press release last week that you guys are focusing your efforts on changing the industry and embracing open innovation. And you said, quote, anything I can get my hands on for open innovation, we're looking at. Right. we're an open innovation company and we just released a study on blah, blah, blah. As a way of introducing ourselves, I can, I can happy to share with you the results. Are you interested? Ah, it's me. It's real. It's happened. I said it. They have research. There's my chance. Is it right. going to happen 100% of the time? No. no. Prospecting is like baseball. It's like batting averages. If you're hitting 200, you're probably going to the minors. All you have to do is hit 300 to go to the all-star game. And all you have to do is do that three, four, five years you go to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. It's just about increasing your averages. If you do the right things, you can increase your averages. So what do you say, though, to the companies that you know, we have this great set of tools and technologies come into sales and people are just using them to perpetuate this bad behavior? Yeah. I mean, actually, it's, it's, it's creating a whole new set of bad behaviors that actually didn't get sort of when people to go out and cold call in person because you had a much more limited scope of opportunity. You had to be, I think, you had to be better or you were quickly flushed out of the game. Yeah, there were things that were easier back then and harder back then about um, prospecting. But I think that it's a better opportunity now to be doing it. But there are some challenges that you have to overcome. In terms of but we have all these tools, that's fine. Use them. Email number one of my what we, what we learned from this and one of the things that we're saying now is you, you don't want to just do cold calling or cold outreach or cold emailing or warm whatever. We say create an attraction campaign. And I don't mean from a marketing perspective. I mean from a selling perspective. If it takes, it took our top performers five touches to uh, generate mm-hmm. a reaction from a buyer. It took the rest. We did statistical regression right. analysis to, to see who does better versus one, one group versus the right. other. 
It took even the best group five touches to get through. It took eight touches for on average for the others. So they're like, all right, well, what is my seven touch, eight touch sequence myself as a seller, not as a marketer? Mm-hmm. First one, hey, Andy, open innovation, blah, blah, blah. The second one, I can trigger an email a week later to say, uh, Andy, I was wondering if you saw my email last week uh, that I sent about uh, connecting. Mm. It's below. Thanks. You can set email number one to be lightly customized in the line, but obviously I looked at you, I read you, right. and then the second line, I might be looking for 20 or 30 people to reach out to for my open innovation, but I'm either finding the press release or I'm on their LinkedIn or I'm doing something to say I focused on you as a human. Then number two can be a touch. Number three can be a voicemail to say, Andy, it's Mike Schultz calling from right. blah, blah, blah. But number six can be an automated voicemail. Uh, hey, it's Mike Schultz again. I'm calling to follow up. It's right. like, so you can use them as tools to make things more efficient, but you want to use tools like David Ogilvy said, you want to use research. How uh, some people use research is like a drunkard uses a lamppost for support and to lean on. You don't want to use research to just lean on. You want to use it for illumination. Right. So use your technologies right, and you can use it to make you more efficient, but don't rely on them blindly to get you meetings. And don't be so lazy. Well, but that's, here's the conundrum, right? Is you've got sales managers that seemingly feel like their incentives are tied to, you know, how many calls are we making, right? How many mm-hmm. do all of my reps, SDRs, are making 50 outreaches or whatever? And what you're describing is saying, hey, make it 20, but make them 20 really good ones. And you're going, yes. to increase, you're going to increase your odds. And at the end of the day, you're going to get as many conversations as you did if you did 50 lousy ones. For the sales managers for being pressed to do that, especially if you are selling a solution of any complexity to buyers of any sophistication, uh, the numbers game isn't necessarily going to help you. So the way you might end up as a sales VP is to make the case about how you're going to get better results. Mm. Activity metrics are fine. We have to know what people are doing. And I think that that's okay. Uh, but you don't necessarily need to know every second. You don't need to know every call. What you need to know is if they're doing the right things to get the right results. So I was actually giving a speech with, um, with Neil Rackham, who founded mm-hmm. uh, Spin Selling. Uh, he had done some research about a company that increased the activity metrics, and they got more meetings. And their average size of sale went down something like 6 or 8%. And their average win rate went down something like 4 or 5%. So they ended up with 3 or 4% worse results right. by pressing the activity metrics. And then they increased their turnover from something like 22% to 28%. Sure. Because the sellers were frustrated. Get out of my butt here already. I'm just... Right. So, so they actually got more meetings and got more sales, but for fewer dollars with the sellers and higher cost of sellers turnover. There's just all these problems they created. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Well, and you're seeing that trend in companies, you know, that... A lot of times with startups that are really you know, in the SDR mode, it's like, okay, well, if we got you know, five deals out of 1,000 cold outreaches and we want to get 10 deals next month, well, then we're going to send 2,000 cold outreaches as mm-hmm. opposed to saying, well, how do I make those 1,000 better? How to do 500 make them better? Mm-hmm. This idea of increasing productivity of what they're doing doesn't seem to occur to many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't occur to a lot of people. And that's why other people can have outsized success if they take less of an on its face, you know, we should just make more calls and be driving this. And uh, it's, it's the same thing with um, sales performance analysis. Oh, the compensation's wrong. We need to pay these guys more. Well, actually, not necessarily. There's right. a number of factors that contribute to whether somebody is deeply engaged at work and compensation is a meaningful one amidst a handful of others. But if you just Talk about, talk about what it feels like and what you think you should do. You're going to miss what a more uh, thoughtful and measured person to say, what actually produces here? Not what do I feel like produces here, but what actually produces here? You're going to find yourself with a better approach. Yeah, I, 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 I sense too often in companies that they put a stake in the ground about their process and they're afraid to really challenge the process for a number of reasons, you know, it's in certain industries, especially like I said, sort of the venture funded companies, they feel pressured to use a certain sales model. And, mm-hmm. and I find it sort of interesting is that in industry sort of 
devoted to disruption of their own markets, mm-hmm. see this mass conformity <laughs> among the sales process and the salespeople that, quite frankly, is outputting lousy results. You know, horrible close rates. I mean, start there and, and work your way up. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a maturity model that people should understand, not what's the right thing to do, but what's the right thing to do right now with my team. The amount of process that you need with eight guys conquering the world versus when you have 20, you're an executive search company and you have 24 locations globally and you've been able to establish best practices that you get results when these seven things happen. And you can show and prove that if these seven things don't happen, results drop from here to here, then you want to be able to introduce that success to other people and see if you can't get folks to do it. At the same time, you should say, if anybody wants to show better results by setting up tests and trying some opportunities with something else, go prove something better and bring it back and we'll roll it out to the rest of the people too. Right. So it's not just about this blind arm twisting of a bucket shop of here's exactly how you sell, but when is it right to put in process? What are the reasons that are right for process? And not just process for process sake, but if you do these things, you should be able to get better results in a shorter period of time. Uh, and if that's the case, you want to be able to um, make some of that standard. But it's a question of when too. Yeah. Well, and I'd ask you the question because for people listening to this, you know, especially sales leaders that you know, are responsible for this, is that, mm-hmm. and this is, this is something that drives me crazy because I see it all the time, is, is let people, to your point, let people experiment. That's okay to have activity metrics, but not everybody's going to succeed in the same way. Mm-hmm. And instead of having this sort of blind adherence to a uniform process that so many companies mm-hmm. seem to use, which to your point is, you know, turns out drones that, spend 12 months on a job and then disappear is give somebody the chance to succeed, to find out what they're really good at, how they can do this job better than the process you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You should definitely let people test. And then I think it's the same kind of thing with, um, you know, the sales managers are constantly pressing activity. We found in a different research report, the sales managers that focused more of their time coaching their sellers on how to win more opportunities they were much more highly likely to be in the top performer group. Mm-hmm. So I could be pressing on activities or I could be coaching on, uh, on opportunities. I could be pressing activities or I could be sitting with my sellers, teaching them how to do a better needs discovery. Right. We actually found, um, this was a, a client that we work with. They actually had a half decent process and some, followed it and some people didn't. And we looked at it and said, and they wanted a process redesign. We're like, you know what? We're not going to process redesign. We're going to process change manage to get a little few more people to adopt it. And we're going to put a couple of other things inside of it, see if it can help them. Big challenge of theirs was needs discovery. They had bought three or four companies. And right. the guys at this company sold their old thing. And the guys from that old company sold their old thing. But they were two years in. Mm-hmm. So we literally just created them a one-page checklist to be able to say, here are the 18, 20 questions that commonly will help you in a needs discovery. And it wasn't 67 questions. It was 18 or something right. like that. We said, just try to answer more, ask more of these 18. Yeah, but this one's in an area I don't know about. That's okay. If the buyer says, well, tell me more about that, you can say, well, actually, I want to bring in one of my colleagues who's worked on that more. I know what it is and what it does, but I don't know details. Their average size of sale went up 26% for the yeah. people that were willing to say, I use the needs discovery checklist to prepare for meetings. Right. So, so the process was actually fine and it wasn't overdone and it didn't need to be redesigned. You just needed to find the areas where intervening would make a better difference. Right. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's one of the big concerns is, you know, we've lost, in certain industries, we've lost the sense of the individual and yeah, it's individuals that drive this forward. And process, absolutely. But within the process, mm-hmm. yeah, big fan when I was growing up of Vince Lombardi and coaches the Green Bay Packers and... Mm-hmm. And his, his philosophy was, because he had a very limited playbook, you're a sports fan, he had a very limited playbook, basically dared the competition to stop him. Mm-hmm. But he said his whole guidance philosophy was, we give players freedom within structure. And I think that's a great, great watchword for salespeople mm-hmm. and for sales managers. Mm-hmm. And here's a great thing for, for you salespeople out there, if you're trying to hit your numbers and you don't quite make it. Vince Lombardi said, we didn't lose. We just ran out of time. Right. <laughs> you can try that one on your sales manager next week. Right. See if it works, right? 
Yeah, good luck. Yeah. Well, thing is, just don't run out of time next time. So, uh, myth number four. So, we've done three. We've done uh, it's impossible to get a to reach sellers. It's cold calling is dead, which you know is not the case. Also, we've went through buyers don't want to hear from sellers, which you know again, people are actually out there engaging. They know that's not the case. Um, fourth one was buyers don't want to hear about your capabilities. Yeah. So uh, this is just something that. Uh, I've seen a lot of the sales punditry says, don't go in with the capabilities pitch. Don't focus on some of your features. Don't focus on comparisons of you versus someone else. Don't do that. You want to go in and, you know, God gave you uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason and start asking questions, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Well, uh, we learned two things. One is buyers do want to hear about your capabilities. So uh, descriptions of providers' capabilities uh, the buyers said that they were 67% of buyers said that they were influenced or very influenced as to whether or not they connect with you as to your capabilities and whether or not you communicated them clearly. So when we talked to buyers, they said, yeah, you know, I've read sales books too. And you know, I know all this stuff and, oh yeah, we're pretty far through our buyer journey because we can read on websites. You think I sat there reading your website? We have time. Oh, geez, I can't go. I can't wait to go read your website, go through the capabilities pages, and try to understand the value proposition uh, as easily as you could explain it. Why am I going to spend a half an hour on your website trying to ferret out how good your marketing people are at right. explaining a certain case? When if I can talk to a half decent salesperson, hopefully they did a little research on me and they can summarize it in three, four minutes, and then I can ask questions. I don't know what you do. I guess, sure. I mean, I, I can get the well, general... Yeah, you do, you do to a certain degree because that's why you're talking to them. But beyond that, yeah. Yeah, but the the, uh, the buyers would say this, and this is kind of my style too. I, you try not to interject too much of yourself in research, but my style is, is I love to hear demos and capabilities pitches. You know why? I think I'm smart. And I know what I'm trying to accomplish in some areas. And I don't need the seller to necessarily guide me to my new agenda, blah, blah, blah. God damn it, I know my agenda. And I'm looking for ways and I'm looking for different pieces of the Legos to put together to try to capture my agenda. So if you just show me some things, I'll take a half an hour and listen. And if it sparks some ideas just by looking at your capabilities, that might help me. Mm -hmm. But stop after five minutes and say, we're going through the capabilities and a little bit of the detail. Too much detail, not too much detail. Want to dive in in one area? Don't. Oh. Thank God you asked. Leave that aside. Focus on this area and let me ask you a couple questions. Perfect. We're talking about your capabilities and it's working. Mm -hmm. It can be fine, but it's not about switch back away from ideas, switch back away from primary research, switch back away from, I did a little bit of research in your company and and I think that there are five best practices that uh, we found similar companies using that makes a difference, et cetera, et cetera. Put it all together, but don't leave the capabilities aside. We have... I, I grew up in the professional services industry mm-hmm. in terms of serving the industry. And it was rampant. Don't talk about capabilities. Don't talk about capabilities. Yeah, sure. Focus on buyers and their needs and focus on connecting with them based on the things that are important to them. But don't shy away from what you do. Well, they don't know what do. They don't know what you do. That's why they're talking to a human. Yeah, but the sales punditry, oh, uh, our colleagues are overemphasizing back off of that. Yeah, and I, to me, it's there's a difference between talking about capabilities and you know the whole sort of show up and throw up ethos, right? Yeah. What you're talking about is is yeah, don't show up and talk about your capabilities, but be a human while you're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Pay attention to what the reaction you're getting. Ask the question about you know, are we answering the questions you have? Are we covering the the, the topics you want to hear about or learn about? As opposed to just I'm going to open my mouth, I'm going to talk for five minutes straight, and it may not even be relevant to what they're really interested in. That's mm-hmm. Ask a question or two, that's fine. But yeah, people, you're there because they want to learn about what you do, not because they want to hear your question. For sure. Or hear your challenge, quote mm-hmm. unquote. I mean, there's a there's a place for challenging. And mm-hmm. in certain sales, it makes a ton of sense. But you're not going to get the opportunity to challenge until they understand what you do. Yeah, it depends on challenging what and where. I mean, there are two different kinds of challenges too. So uh, my last book was Insight Selling. Uh, yep. good on- book. Thanks. It was based on a different research report we did, but we found two things were really helpful when it came to um, insight. One is educate with buyer, educate buyers with a new idea and perspective. Mm-hmm. And that just is generally going to challenge their status quo, even if you're not pressing on their status quo. Right. You're just generally presenting a path forward that is likely they're not taking. 
mm-hmm. challenging them to consider, should I be doing what I'm doing or should I be changing it? And the other one is, and this is where we talk to buyers all the time, like take our context is we need to improve our sales. Uh, I need to change the compensation. I think that's what we want to do. Can you help us with compensation consulting? And we'll say, well, let's talk for a minute about what improving sales means to you, like what the metrics we would move. And then I want to just learn what's going on in your sales force to figure out, is that the button we press or do we press that button with other buttons? Do you mind if I poke around with that? Sure, blah, blah, blah. And then you say like, you know what? You talked about compensation. Based on our research and experience, that's the fourth out of 10 factors that's going to affect the human performance. But what I found from talking to some of your salespeople is that you guys are all up at them and hitting their quota, hitting their quota, hitting their quarterly numbers. And you're never talking to them about the difference that you make for customers. Mm-hmm. They don't like working here. That's your problem. They don't <laughs> believe in it. And we found that organizations that focus on value and believe in their value, you ever hear that? If I believe in what I'm selling, I can sell a ton more of it. You want them to sell a ton more of it? Let's focus on having them believe what you're selling. Yeah, but we make this huge difference. But you're not talking to sellers and giving them to say that, is it more important to close the deal by the end of the month or is it more important to make the biggest difference for buyers and have them stay for the next six years by selling them the right thing? Well, business-wise, you're going to get the better result if you wait another couple of weeks and do it. And if you train them that you need to close the deal by the end of the quarter, they're just going to be coming to you looking for discounts. Which one do you want? Well, we want the other one. All right, well then, Change your culture a little bit. Change your sales management. Change the messages. Compensation, I don't even think that's going to make much of a difference. You pay okay. So that's where challenging can come in, but it has to flow through a process. So let me ask you a question, sort of off the track a little bit, but I think interesting for the audience is, you know, you've referred several times to sales punditry. And personally, I find it very difficult these days to read almost anything. Uh, that's out there on LinkedIn and other places mm-hmm. from our colleagues because yeah, it's just, it's, <laughs> it just seems like it's sort of more of the mindless crap that, that sort of follows a certain set of beliefs that, that don't mirror reality. Mm-hmm. And also don't really also reflect that to point you're talking about and certainly deep belief of mine is that, you know, this is a, this is a personal business. Right, you have to be human. The first thing is be human. You talked about culture, so important, right? Is is if salespeople don't understand the value they're providing, absolutely. But also, if the focus is purely on, hey, we're gonna gotta close all these deals this quarter, and yeah, we have this great deal, but yeah, we need to get closed this quarter, so we're gonna rush them. We're gonna offer that discount rather than letting it play out the way it should. Mm-hmm. And yet, that's the behaviors that you know you see basically encouraged. Mm-hmm. Those are the behaviors you see encouraged. So. It's been forever before you were born, before I were born. You're, you're a young man, so you might not know things from, from decades and decades ago. The people were prospecting in the 50s. They were prospecting in the 60s. They were prospecting in the 70s. They're prospecting now. And for the most part, they're pretty bad at it. Yep. The idea of leading with content, marketing with content, and being a thought leader. Oh, sure, people wrote books years ago, but it's only in the last 10 years that it's been content, content, mm-hmm. content. So we've had 50, 60, 70 years to figure out how to be good at prospecting. And most people are still bad at it. The last 10 years, everyone's been encouraged to be a thought leader and they're worse at it than prospecting. As a matter of fact, that's what we've kind of doubled down on thought leadership in our investment. We right. said, it's not just about writing articles anymore. That's why we founded the Rain Group Center for Sales Research. And we study hundreds and thousands of sellers and buyers not to find out how to support a particular position, but how to find out what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. Because people are working with consuming information and when they find something that's worthwhile, they stick with it. But most of the punditry out there is just, I was told I have to write articles, I'm going to write them once a month, and they're bad. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that for me sort of goes along with that, because some of the punditry is, is... you know, emanates from people with a vested interest in selling tools or technologies and so mm-hmm. on. And to your point about the fact that sort of basic, basic prospecting, as we know, it started in the 1890s, right? NCR with the first modern American sales force. But, and we haven't gotten substantially better at it since then. And to me, it seems, as you said, maybe we've gotten slightly worse with the advent of a lot of this technology. Um, it's, allowed, it's allowed us to be lazy. So, I've been doing this kind of sales work for 20 years. 
I happened to start my career to sales performance consulting firm. So I'm a lifer in the concepts of selling. But when I started that firm, uh, started at that firm, mm-hmm. I was studying sales and analyzing sales forces. I came from a liberal arts under, undergraduate and they needed analysts. So I was an analyst. Yeah. And I said to my boss after six months, I've been studying sales, reading about sales, writing about sales and at sales training programs and consulting programs. And I haven't actually sold. Do you mind if I pick up the phone and try it? And he said, sure, as long as you don't call any of our top 300 prospects, because that's what our VP is. I'm like, okay, fine. I won't call any of them. I'll just call, I'll call someone else. So I would sit down at my desk, eight o'clock in the morning, and the clock was all I heard. There was a web, but there was nothing really on it. I didn't have a cell phone. So I didn't have text. I didn't have LinkedIn. I didn't have Slack. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have text messages. I had a phone on my desk and a clock going tick, 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 and a directory to flip through and find names and call people. So it was easier to concentrate and it was simpler. And I could either be good on the phone or bad on the phone. And if I was feeling really saucy, maybe I'd send a letter or two before I call, mail, mail, call, before call, mail, call, or something like that. But it was simpler. Now we have all these technologies that we can lean on. It's um, it's easier to reach out to people so there's more noise. And there's a lot of lazy people out there and they're bad at it. Meanwhile, when we're prospecting, and here's one of the things we said at the beginning, and they were getting near the end. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that what we found in our research, so you, you saw the, the white paper based on the yep. research. We actually just published a 27-page actual full research report on this. One of the things that we found is that the distracted, uh, the distracted seller and how hard it is for them to concentrate for three, four, five hours, an hour, without looking at their phone. Every so we watched it. Sometimes people check their phones 20, 30 times an hour. They check their phones while they're on the phone with prospects. Yes. And in between calls and as they're emailing, they look at their email and they look at their Facebook and they looked at their LinkedIn, they check their texts. They cannot concentrate. So while it's, uh, so 20 years ago, there were certain things that were harder to do. Like I couldn't look people up, but it was just tick, tick, tick in the clock. I had nothing else to do. I was supposed to be prospecting. There wasn't something to distract me. So we found sellers that were more effective are starting to have more formal productivity, time and attention management programs at their companies Mm -hmm. versus the ones that are just, you know, allowing their email to be on, allowing all their alerts to bump in and allowing all of those social psychologists that are working at Facebook and LinkedIn and Slack and all the other companies. And their only job is to put their little hooks in our brains and need to check it all the time. The sellers that were winning, it wasn't just about attraction campaigns and values and touching enough and doing the research and preparing the messages the right way and sticking with it and having the right part of the finishing sequence and all that. But it was also just about their ability to concentrate and execute. That has gone way down in the last 10 years. So we're finding we have to teach how do you prospect? And then we actually have to teach how do you concentrate? Right. And that's becoming more and more of what we're bringing to the table to the 28 year old who has never thought about that, who wants to work is sharp enough to pick it up and could be successful, but they literally don't know how to work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've confronted this with, with clients I've done workshops for is, is, you know, do surveys, you know, who, who keeps their phone on their desk while they're making their outbound calls. Mm -hmm. You know, they all do. This is like it's one team of like a hundred inside salespeople who looks at their phone if it pushes a notification to them while they're on the phone with a prospect. Hundred percent, raise their hand. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I start taking them through the research on multitasking, how we're completely incapable of doing that. And the story I use, and as an example, and people get it, I say, when I'm on the phone with my wife, she understands the instant I start looking at my email. Mm-hmm. That's because your girlfriend told her that she just uh, emailed you. So. Just emailed, right? Yeah. So they're, they're cheating, but I but I won't I won't uh, mention yeah. that anymore. But but your prospect understands that too. As soon as your your interest starts wavering, they know. I'm sorry, Andy. Did you say something? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's just I agree. I think the ability to concentrate. I think especially as you said, sort of the millennials. We got people there. They're brought up as super checkers of the phones, and this is not 
not dinging on millennials are watching this at all. It's just, it's a generational thing is that mm-hmm. you're digital natives. You're, it's ingrained to you more than as people in our generation. But even though I think I'm, I check too much, but when I sit down and do my calls and do my, I turn my process, my phone off and put it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our generation, I mean, you and I are younger than millennials, so we really don't know what, what it's like, what it's like to be a millennial, but if we're Gen Z, for Gen yeah, Z. Gen Z. So yeah, I'm a Gen Xer and I, I've, I mean, I grew up playing Atari. I don't know if that's exactly quite the digital native of the people that grew up with, with playing, playing Pong. Yeah, I, I was playing Pong. I was actually just talking to my dad about playing Pong. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a digital native or millennial. I was as sucked into this as anyone else. Absolutely. And uh, it was actually working at, uh, I spent the better part of uh, last year at the hospital and I have had spent a lot of time with my children at the hospital the last five years. And being able to concentrate in a war zone is how I learned that I was as distractible and mm-hmm. hard focused. And I had to get so much done in the two hours that I had sometimes or else things would literally fall apart because I didn't have an eight-hour day to get right. two hours worth of work done. Right. And you know, we were actually you know, teaching a productivity system to our our clients so much more often than we ever have in the past just because, you know, it's not even the gen, it's not even just um, millennials. It's the gen Xers. Everyone else is distracted by their phone. You know, I walked by someone who is older than gen X uh, that I was working with recently, not at my company. And they kind of moved their computer screen and they weren't looking at something bad, but they were playing a game right. there and they didn't know what else to do. And their brains are wired to not, focus on their greatest impact activity and go back to their to-do list, but to distract themselves with a browser and right. then they get lost. Right. So we try to change that. You and I will be the two sales pundits that will, we're going to change the world. We're going to beat Facebook Oops. and LinkedIn and Slack. We're going to do it. Uh, Patricia, we're going to have to get back to you in just a few minutes. We're still finishing a call. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, Patricia. <laughs> um, let's see if she... We're just having too much fun, Andy. Yeah, I didn't realize the time. I was looking. I wasn't even paying attention to the clock. All right, so we'll wrap up just quickly, quick on the fifth one is just so people know is myth that cold, cold meetings don't result in sales wins, which I can't believe everybody, anybody ever believed that, but but they do. They do. It's And it turns out that the factors that jumped out at us the most that made the difference of turning those first calls into actual pipeline opportunities and sales wins, it's pretty mundane. It's pretty cliche, but it's value. So what right. the buyers told us was the factors that influenced their ultimate purchase from a seller that had reached out and was not like an old friend of theirs right. was focuses on the value they could deliver me. 96% agreed or strongly agreed with that. Collaborates with me, educates me with the new idea and perspective, provides valuable insight related to my industry or market, deepens my understanding of my needs. Those were all above 90% in factors that influence or strongly influence. However, only 42% of our buyers, more than half, found that in general, meetings they have with sellers are not valuable to them. If you can just flip that switch and apply these things, you're going to be in the set of folks that get sales from the meetings. Yeah, and I think just to reiterate what you said, because I, I wasn't sure that you, not to say you said it incorrectly, but yeah, only 42% were finding that sellers could deliver that value in the meeting. Yeah, and fifty-eight percent said that, that by and large, yeah. their meetings with sellers were not valuable. Right. That that we and I think that's consistent with the, what other people have found. As a matter of fact, our buyers might have been a little bit more generous than other studies we've seen. I saw one from Forrester that said thirty-eight percent of buyers found meetings with sellers valuable. But the point is, is that it's less than half, and it doesn't even matter that it's less than half. For those of you that are listening to this, if you're a seller, just ask, "Is it me?" Because you don't exactly. have to worry about everyone else. And if you're a sales vice president, and say. Is that my team? And if right. you don't know the answer, find out the answer. Yes. If, if you do, it can drive you down a path of getting better success. And one of the answers, which does not happen nearly enough, is if you're the VP, if you're the sales leader, pick up the phone or get on a plane and talk to your freaking customers. Mm-hmm. That's how you find this out. Don't, yeah, do, a, that- don't do a survey. <laughs> you know, pick up the phone. You, you're the surveyor. You're the sales leader. This is what I advocate. Pick up the phone. Call some customers. Yeah, and, and I would actually say do it exactly the way you said it. Pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking to talk to some of my freaking customers. Do you have 15 minutes for me? So just do it just like that. It'll be amazing. It will be amazing. But don't, don't delegate it. 
If you want to make the changes, get the data yourself, collect it yourself. All right, Mike, <laughs> we ran out of time, but uh, it's been great talking to you. And uh, tell people how they can find out more about the study, find out more about Rain, and connect with you. Yeah, if you just go to raingroup.com and click on the Rain Group Center for Sales Research in the main navigation, you'll find links to some of these studies. If you go to our white papers, you'll find uh, some publicly available snippets. And if you want the research itself, you can just reach out through the website and say, hey, I'm looking to get connected with some of the research and, and we'll help you out. All right. And if you live in one of these multiple cities around the world, reach out to them as well. So, all right, Mike, great to talk to you. And as always. Look, look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, Andy. All right, thanks. Thank you, Mike. Again, that was Mike Schultz, president of Rain Group, breaking down the myths surrounding B2B sales prospecting. Joining me next is my usual partner in crime, Bridget Gleason, VP of Sales at Logs.io. And today, Bridget and I are going to talk about the limitations that some sales teams are beginning to success. Sales teams are beginning to experience with the inside sales model, especially in higher value, more complex sales. So let's jump into that. Bridget, how are you doing today? Andy. We got to change it. Andy, 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 Andy. Oh, you got four. Okay, five, six. Okay, perfect. So... People are probably wondering yeah. why we haven't had Captain Fantastic on the show for a while. So I know because we, we were moved to Wednesday, and so everything got changed. But like we're, it, it's a fresh start. It's a fresh start. But you're still fantastic, though. Thank you. I, I hope so. That was a question. It was also oh. an affirmative statement as well. I do think. You're okay, fantastic, good. But. Yeah. No, I'm still fantastic. <laughs> I'm still fantastic, and I hope he still thinks so. Oh yeah, of course, of course. So, gosh, I mean, this is after. How many um, 100, episodes? 132, I think. Boy. Yeah, think about that. Most podcasts last seven episodes. We've accelerates on you know 660 virtually, and and almost a quarter of those, you and I. Wow. And that's a that's a lifelong podcast right there. So sorry. <laughs> she drops she, she drops the mic. Crash, <laughs> as I crash the mic. Okay. That was, that was that's your... just see, see, you can always learn. You can always get better. I just thought that was like a mic drop, you know, that was like I know. Da, da, da. <laughs> right. All right. So I had a conversation with the VP of sales of a, I want to identify a high growth SaaS startup. Okay. I had some interesting yeah. takeaways I thought we should, should chat about because um, I think it touches on some issues a lot of people are thinking about these days. And okay. just, some, just some random quotes that I had. Um, one was... He's saying, you know, we're all just putting a brave face and fooling ourselves. And he was sort of referring to the SDR model. He's saying the SDR model, and they sell a reasonably complex product, saying the SDR model just isn't working for us. And that um, these are key takeaways. One is they have to change their focus from quantity to quality. Okay. They're finding that uh, their outbound calls are less effective than or before, and the, they're sort of searching for a strategy, one of which sort of tentatively thinking is, as I've heard from actually a number of companies recently, is that actually events are becoming uh, a better way, not a better way, but a, a new and, and uh, interesting way that people are exploring, companies are exploring for uh, lead generation. Um, said that they absolutely have to have a conversation at the C-level. If they don't, they lose the deal on uh, deals that they do have a conversation at the C-level, they win 50%. Which, when you consider that SAS close rates are roughly 20%, that's pretty fantastic. You know, it's a great metric to have. And, uh, you know, they're about two-thirds of the rep hitting quota. So okay. You, as a peer of this person, somebody that's also VP of sales, a high growth SaaS startup. So I thought, yeah, we should talk about some of these points because it, it um, you know, the first one about, I'm hearing a lot, people saying there's got to be, what's next, right? It's got to be something that's going to evolve that we're going to be able to change with with our SDR model because it's, you know, we all know about the problems of high turnover in the positions. Um, it's a hard position. It's a hard position, uh, the pay has become hugely inflated uh, for the oftentimes what you're getting, not a career path for the people that are in it necessarily. Uh, a lot of people exit that position and never come back to sales. Um, you know, it's just a lot of things 
with it as and also tug of war between sales and marketing in terms of who should have responsibility for it. I mean, that's you hear more and more. So, just sort of interested in your your perspectives on some of that. I, you know, when you were talking about who should have responsibility, it's sometimes it feels like. Okay, who can we get to take it? Every time, like I talk to a marketing, we're hiring a, a CMO, and we had this question about. I said, "Where do you think uh, the SDR team should sit?" I mean, right now it's with me, but and I think they worry that I'm thinking, "Don't take away any of my empire." And I almost look at it like a hot potato. You're saying you I'll, want it? I'll gift wrap you it for want you. It? <laughs> right. I because we should. So I, I do. I definitely think it's shared. I think that um, I'm not ready to give up and say that it's, you know, just not effective. Get rid of the SDR team. We've got to figure out a way to get in touch with people. I, I, I still think there's a, a a reason to have some specialization. We're actually combining. We do a lot of events. And we just have the SDRs um, involved in them. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of success is when you combine an SDR strategy with events and or we're starting with account-based marketing that they're using that. We're actually seeing seeing success. And, you know, I'm a big believer that we've got to work to develop them. That's like my side job that I need to make sure that they're growing and that they're learning and they're interested because they aren't going to be SDRs forever. And in a high growth company, there are often other positions for them that would be interesting to them. So we're in a, we're in a good position in that when they're ready to transition, there's a good chance that we'll have something interesting for them to transition to. So what are the events that you're doing that are being effective for you? Um, uh, I don't know if the names of them are particularly interesting. I mean, we but we do a lot. They're not events you're putting on. They're trade shows no, you're no, going no, no, to no. and so on, right? They're they're trade shows. We doing webinars. We're doing more webinars internally that are really helpful, and we cast a wide net. But we're not doing our own. But we're going to events where we know that our prospects will likely be attending. Which, yeah, I, and if I got a sense from this this person. Um, that reference before is that that they're actually and I shouldn't say I got sense they are actually holding their own events and as well as going to other events but they're actually saying look you know we can put on a a half day event in various locations around the country and with the right topic we're going to get people to attend yeah that's that's yeah I mean it that's like the in that's sort of the webinar strategy in person. In person, and I think that definitely can be effect. That definitely can be effective. Where we, I've done that in the past. We'll probably start doing more of that. Where we'll do targeted events with an interesting speaker and making sure we've got the right level of person there. Yeah, I get that. Well, I think I think that's sort of a back to the future strategy that I think people should really be looking at. Is and I've worked with clients that have done this very successfully with holding seminars in various locations around the country, even smaller companies, you know, startups. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if they have a really rigorous uh, follow-up process, yeah, obviously you're doing your outreach through a combination of mail and in-person call, and then, you know, we just set up a, a process with, you know, X number of touches. Usually the invites go out, you know, two and a half, three weeks before. It's not too dis- dissimilar from a webinar. Right. And you know, if they're following up, usually get two follow-ups within the last 24 hours, one 24 hours before and one like two hours before, turnout yield was really pretty good. And um, yeah, the conversion rates out of, out of people attending were pretty high in terms of getting them into um, you know, qualified status, at least initially, or, or get them into the nurture uh, you know, pile so they became prospects later on. Yeah, we have good luck. Uh, it's not luck, but we events are a good channel for us. Also, I mean, you you've you kind of narrow down to a market that you know of people that or a population that is probably somewhere in kind of the people you want to go after. They are 
uh, you've got a sh- you've got something in common, which is this event that you're both at, which helps. There's some connection and reason to mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. and you don't always get the right level, but depending on the depending on the event, you get you can get or create the right level. Well, I think on trade shows in particular is one thing people have to keep in mind. And I've actually presented at uh, <laughs> at the uh, trade show for trade show managers at uh, for a few a few years uh, about how to sell at trade shows. And one of the things dynamics has really changed is that you know, people going to shows these days it used to be sort of a voyage of discovery. I'm going to go mm. see what's new. And now it's much more, I'm going to go and have these meetings because I want to learn about right. these three things. They, the agenda is fairly well set before they go. And so it's really why it's important for you if you, you know, are a manager planning how you're going to staff a trade show. You know, the managers don't want to take salespeople out of the field, don't want to take their SDRs away from the, the phones. I think you're absolutely crazy not to staff your booth with salespeople or people in sales because you're going to have real conversations with folks. And it's not that uh, you know the marketing team that normally gets delegated to, to staff can't have those types of conversations, but increasingly you're having great sales conversations at a show. You'll be represented by sales. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's it's uh, definitely important, and I guess you know going back to your the other VP of sales you were talking to. I'm not ready to throw it in, uh, throw in the towel with SDRs. I think they have a role on the sales team or on the marketing team, either side. Um, it just has to be part of sort of a larger strategy, I think, and not not seen in a vacuum. Well, I think that you sort of get to one of the real questions of the day. You know, you have to decide whether it's really that consequential or not. But certainly some sales VPs think it is, is where do they belong? And assuming we're going to stick with that SDR model, which I haven't seen an alternative yet that that right. makes sense. Right. So I, I'm hearing inklings, you know, through the conversations I have of things people are thinking about. But yeah, it, it, to me, it really sort of makes sense to put it in marketing. So I hate to say that as a sales guy, but 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 why? Well, to me, it's it's, it's a lead gen. It's a, it's a lead gen. <laughs> It is. Have it part of the legion. I mean, yeah. I, I I am super happy with it being in marketing. I really am. <laughs> I know. Listen to me. Throw wanna, that hot potato I, over there. As, that's Get right. That as I shed these responsibilities, I'm super happy. It's hard to put. It's hard to. It it's. It is part of the legion. It's the conversations I've had with my marketing counterparts. We've said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It, it, it's a shared, we have to be so aligned and this is a shared resource. Mm-hmm. And if we're worried about the reporting structure, we've got other issues, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's some VPs of marketing that are really in CMOs that really want to, well, increasingly they're being judged on a, a more metric driven basis than perhaps they had in the past, but they really want to take this ownership of, of uh, producing qualified leads and I think that's great. As you said, if you can be aligned on on what your targets are and the messaging and what you're trying to achieve then That's right. Uh, yeah, I I would be happy to sacrifice that and let, let somebody else manage that and focus on what happens when we actually get a real prospect. That's right. You it comes over to on my on the sales side to close it. I'm in. Mhm. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, and I think for just to make sure people understand, as when Bridget says to close it, what she means is I'm given an early stage prospect and we work them through the process. It's not like, yeah, the SDR has worked it all the way to the point where it's time to say, will you give me That's an order? That's right. That's right. That would be nice, but that doesn't really happen. Well, in that case, we don't need sales, right? Well, that see, that would be that would be that would be true. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to work your way out of a job? I'm so not. Okay. I'm so not. All right. Yeah, that's good because. No, I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to work my way out of a job. No, no. I mean, it's hard to. It's too much fun right now. Hard to get rid of the the VP of sales position. I mean, there's there's still leadership needed. Yeah, they may find a way sooner or later. We'll get annoying, just annoying enough. They'll find a way. 
Yeah, AI is coming. First thing the AI is going to do. AI is coming. That's get, right. Get rid of the VPs of sales. That's the mission. I don't think so. That'll, but. Be, <laughs> that'll be fun. That'll be fun to see what happens. Yeah, well, it's it'll be both more and less interesting than we think it'll be, sitting from this perspective. So <laughs> I know. I <laughs> like everything in life. So, all right, Bridget, as always, pleasure talking with you. And likewise, Andy, actually, Andy, Andy. Actually, it was fantastic talking to you. And likewise, and I'm still fantastic. You are. All right. Next week. All right. Until next Wiley Wednesday. Oh, my God. I don't, we're going to have to I know. You that. don't like that one. Fine. You think about it. I've right. been thinking All about right. it. I pick, I pick Wiley until you tell me otherwise. All right. Got a deal. All right. Talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guest, Mike Schultz, and my friend, Bridget Gleason. Join me again next week as I welcome Jay Gibb to Accelerate. Jay is the founder of CloudSponge. CloudSponge is a cool app that enables businesses to generate leads from their existing users' contacts. Think about that for a second. So you definitely want to join us for that. And of course, no Accelerate would be complete without sharing stories with Bridget Gleason. As always, she'll be joining me for our weekly conversation. So be sure to join us then. Thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. Thank you again for joining me, and until next week, good selling, everyone.